1: This episode of the Book Riot Podcast is brought to you by The Wicked Deceptions, a new series by Golden Heart award-winning author Joanna Shoup. In each of these three new Regency romance novels, three spirited heroines are given a mission. In The Courtesan Duchess, seduce her scoundrel husband, produce an heir, and solve her financial crisis. In The Harlot Countess, protect her identity as a political cartoonist and enact revenge on the man who broke her heart. And in The Lady Hellion, help a handsome lord overcome his agoraphobia in exchange for lessons in love. Love. Joanna Shoup's Wicked Deceptions novels are available wherever books are sold and at KensingtonBooks.com.
0: This is the Book Riot Podcast, the weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and what's talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 100. Woo woo! And we're recording woo. on Thursday, April 2nd. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky and Amanda Nelson. We're the editors of BookRide.com. Here we are, 100. We can be syndicated. We can be on TBS now. What? Now can. Yeah, that's that the old thing about TV 100. show? 100 yeah, yeah. hundred episodes, you can be syndicated. Uh, like Friends or everyone uh, loves out. Raymond's uh, According to Jim. Um, all that <laughs> stuff. <on> everyone, all <laughs> Our there. TV show
2: there would just be like us sitting down drinking a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <You
0: don't laughs> yeah, right, right. Reading books. Uh, and so we started, the first episode was, it's been almost two years, right? It was was May of uh, 2013, somewhere around there.
1: April or late April, early May, something like
0: that. And we've had a couple of episodes that were split for recommendation shows, and, you know, they're 52 weeks a year. So we're just shy of two years. So thank you all so much for listening. It's been fun um, doing the show this whole time. So we've taken reader questions, we got a whole bunch of them. Uh, So we're going to go through them as best we can. And, you know, if we get goofy, so be it. This is our, this is our show mm-hmm. for 100. But we did have a special episode 100 t-shirt. It's um, on, te- if you go to teespring.com slash podcast, you can find our 100th episode commemorative t-shirt that says books are in my wheelhouse. And be sure if you go there, if you're interested, there's a drop-down menu that you can pick between a V-neck, a crew neck, and a men's and women's T. Is that what they call men's and women's? Or is Yeah, it some the, other there's like the,
1: well, I think the men's ones are technically just listed as T-shirt because yeah. patriarchy.
0: Because yeah, dudes are default. Yeah, right. <laughs> um,
1: but those are kind of like unisex and the women's ones are a little bit more fitted. Um, right. I've ordered some of these in the past and they do tend to run a little small yes. if you order the women's shirts. So order up a size if you're doing the women's fit. Um, and thank you to all of you who told us on Twitter that you really would wear a shirt from the Book Riot podcast. Yes. Um, and they are also only available f- through April fifteenth. Uh, they're sixteen bucks after you pay for shipping. It'll still be less than
0: twenty. So you can check that out there. Um, I guess let's see. We got a bunch of. The format of the show, you know, really hasn't changed that much in the beginning. has We we used to do, I'm trying to think of what's really changed. I used well, we to do like, a fact of the week or happy birthdays. We did,
1: yeah, we did author birthdays because yeah. when we started, we were worried that we weren't going to have enough news sometime to fill out an hour-long show. <laughs> so we were like, well, we'll do this new book segment and we'll do this author birthdays segment. And then over time, we had consistently more news than we knew what to do with.
0: So. Right. So we killed that. But other than that, it's pretty much stayed the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we had some guests before we – before I guess, Amanda, you weren't full-time yet when we started the show. No, um, no. So in the early days, if Rebecca or I were off, we had a guest come on. So we had Chuck Wendig once, and we had, we had Ann Kingman once. We have somebody and, else?
1: Uh, Andrew Lasowski. Oh, Andrew
0: Lasowski was on once. I think we had – so those were our th- I think there were only three guest hosts.
1: Maybe I feel and like there's been more, but I'm probably making that up.
0: Yeah. Um, but then, then we uh, – hijacked Amanda to make her talk to us about nerdy book stuff every once <laughs> and again.
1: She hates it. I forgive you.
0: Yeah, that's right. And then we don't have to talk to other people, which is really the best. That's really why we do this for, is not having to talk to other people that much. Um, but before we get into – so we got a bunch of questions. We'll see how many we get to. Before we get to the show, we're going to do our first sponsor. Scribd. Scribd is back. Uh, Scribd is a subscription, subscription book service that gives you unlimited access to a library of more than half a 1000000 ebooks and audiobooks. Go over to scribd.com/slash/bookwrite to get started with the free month. Scribd is spelled S-C-R-I-B-D. dot com/slash/bookwrite free month. After that, it's eight ninety nine a month. Heck of a deal. So one thing we've been talking about with Scribd is it's kind of an all in one subscription service for book nerds. You get your comic books, you get your uh, audiobooks, and you get, of course, a, a bunch of ebooks there. there. Um, more than 30,000 audiobooks. And one thing that's interesting there is they've got even some front list audiobooks to check out. There's a bunch of backlists, but they have a selection of things that are like really pretty new um, that are available. So you don't have to wait necessarily for everything to come on there. Um, You find your way through the giant catalog with collections curated by their team of editors. And as you read, you can get more recommendations based on whether or not you love the books you've already read. So as you put more information into the system about what books you've liked, they can give you better and better recommendations. So to go to scriptcom slash right now, free month. That's 30 months of unlimited listening and reading. So as many as you want, you can try, you can abandon a book. It doesn't count against you. You don't have to like marshal your picks or anything like that. Um, and you'll also be letting them know if you go through that URL that you came from us. Um, and that uh, they should give them give us more of their daughters to talk daughters daughters yeah give us like, you know a whole since we've done hundred episodes man. our uh, our ad rates have gone up um, <laughs> so we're, we're requiring children uh, at this point um, <laughs> I don't
1: know I would take your dogs too the, I yeah guess. Do, dogs
0: you, you know it, there's a conversion system it's very elaborate <laughs> um, uh, give and, a, they'll give us their <laughs> dollars to support the show. And uh, we could talk about their great service.
1: Yeah, and pretty soon we'll have a custom list of Book Riot favorites available when you go to scribd.com/slash Book Riot, so that if you're looking for titles that we like and recommend, you'll know where to get started. But until that page exists, um, we can just tease you with a few of them. The book that I reread every summer, "A Sport and a Pastime" by James Salter, which like is perfect for. Well, my ritual is on like the first really sultry day of summer. I sit in my backyard with sweet tea, and I get like just a little bit sweaty reading this very sexy book. Uh, So that is available. If you want to take something serious, Men We Reaped by Jesmyn Ward, which is a memoir.
0: Oh, that is serious. Yeah,
1: yeah. We're going for all of the points on the spectrum this morning. Uh, But Men We Reaped, which is Jesmyn Ward's memoir about um, losing five men in her life. But through the lens of that loss, she examines racism, violence, and economic struggle, particularly in the American South. And it's important and just unforgettable and a really fantastic book. Um, Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Allier-Syens is a great young adult novel about friendship and identity set in the late 80s. It rang a bunch of my bells uh, when I read it just a few weeks ago, and that's on the list also. As is Angels and Demons by our boy D. Brizzle.
0: D. Brizzle. Uh, and that, you know what? That is a good transition. Because it's we, almost
1: like I did that on purpose. Yeah, okay,
0: almost said, so I, where's the question? I lost in the document. Does anyone have you, do you, any of you guys have the exact question about Dan Brown? In front uh, of you? Uh, uh,
1: pressure, 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 pressure. This is a good
0: radio scrolling our Google Doc. Looking it's for, not in the doc. <laughs> did, didn't I? You lost it. I, but I, did I mention it to you guys, though, that we got that question? You did mention it, but it's not in the Oh, I, maybe I cut and pasted it, actually. I can't remember. <laughs> someone emailed in asking um, us um, – I actually don't know if a man likes Dan Brown. You can chime in in a second. But asking, if, asking us if our affection for the works of um, the great, um, indefatigable Dan Brown was ironical or not. And the question – the answer is, I don't think it is ironical. It's not. We like reading Dan Brown books. Now – I, I think we would not mistake them for uh, Tony Morrison.
1: No, but, you know, you need your potato chips yeah. and your yeah, – uh, Yeah, 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 I don't know what the
0: well, Tony Morrison uh, food equivalent is. Right. It's like it's like <laughs> Doritos. You know, mm-hmm. it's fun. You look forward Isn't to doing it. there a Bible verse about that, like, milk? About Doritos?
2: <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
0: oh, Okay. Like what as a child,
2: it? I was fed milk. Now I need meat, etc. Come on. Okay. You guys are. This kids. is why
0: we have you. Yeah, it. we bring you on for the the unsourced uh, Bible quotations,
2: <laughs> Bible references. <laughs> <laughs> but um,
0: but we we enjoy people. it. We like the Dan Brown. We look forward to it. It's we it's do. goofy. It's got its flaws, but it's also.
1: Like Hard you know, to it, put down. You know exactly what you're gonna get. Yeah. I stayed up all night one night. The well, the first Dan Brown that I read was the Da Vinci Code, because that's when pretty much everyone was discovering Dan Brown. But I stayed up all night that like the summer that it came out after someone recommended it to me, reading it in one go. Yeah. Um and you know, kind of simultaneously being like, What is this? And also why can't I put <laughs> it down? But I love the quirks and I think Dan Brown knows what he's doing. Like I suspect that he has a secret chart about how many times Robert Langdon is going to escape narrowly escape death mm. in the book and in the very how many codes he's going to crack and how many times <laughs> we haven't he's mentioned going to make, the Mickey
0: like, Mouse watch in thirty right, pages you have we have to better mention give the a Mickey shout Mouse
1: out. Watch and the tweed jacket and he's got a swim laps. How good the, like, of a swimmer he is! And uh, I think that's know, the make,
0: weirdest quirk for Langdon that he's a good swimmer. <laughs> that's like so random
1: but he just you know it gives him time to clear his head um well
0: europe and, is full of canals and rivers and he's and got balloons. a new
1: eye contact with the girl friday yeah uh, i i genuinely love and look forward to new dan Me brown books too. if there was one every summer i would read it every summer and you know probably poke a little fun at it but i thoroughly enjoy the process
0: do you like it do you like dan brown books amanda
2: I love Dan Brown on audio because ah. it is like being told a ridiculous story by your favorite uncle. Yeah. That makes no sense. It is the all best. And it's a really <laughs> great way. I like to travel – when I'm traveling, listening to Dan Brown on audio because I hate flying and my flight will be over and I'm off somewhere in like France trying to find some secret mystery or
0: whatever. Yeah. No, I think
2: they're great. All right. Oh,
0: so yeah, I've never tried. We're, on, we're yeah. 100% on board with Dan Brown. So um, it is real. <laughs> I'm sorry. The email or who emailed us that question and I have uh, lost your email, but we got your we to your question. That's what really counts here. Um, Alright, mm-hmm. let's move back. Let's go meta for a second and start off with the, the big picture question. Uh, Suzanne either, I don't know if she's British, maybe it is St. John, but it might be St. John as well, asked, my first burning question is, how did Book Riot come to be? Whose brainchild was it? Technically two, but related. Uh, book Riot is my go-to place for news, cool articles, and merchandise, so I want to thank the geniuses behind Book Riot. She has another question about Toni Morrison. we got a bunch of Toni Morrison questions, so we'll lump those all into a second. So Book Riot getting started. Well, uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, so I wrote a book blog called The Reading Eight back in the day, and my friend Clint uh, from college um, was – I used to, here, I, I'll go back one step. So Clint and I went to college together. I used to do this thing for my friends and family around Christmas time at the end of the year where I'd, I'd give them 10 books that I liked from the year that I read. And like a lot of us who are who write about books online, we were, were kind of like the nexus for giving recommendations to our immediate circle of friends and family. Like I know Amanda does this and I know Rebecca does this, mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. always shuttling us off. And so I was the hub for my little friends and family group. And Clint loved these list of 10 I did every year. So he was always looked for me for book recommendations. I started writing a blog, and he read it. And then as I was writing the blog, I got to meet, or you know as you meet people online, Rebecca's um, blog, The Book Lady's blog, RIP, Dead White Guy's, Amanda's blog. Uh, R.I.P. Uh, Rachel Manuel's blog, Home Between Pages. R.I.P. <laughs> Boy, Book Riot has really left some uh, digital carcasses in its wake. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I guess it's just we like
1: we being absorbed into the mother ship. Yeah, Greg, really.
0: Greg still writes uh, uh, New York Review of Books. Does Does Wallace still write Unputdownables? I don't think she does.
1: I don't think so. I don't so think either. she does sure. either.
0: Um, I don't think Kit writes books or my boyfriend. Boy, we slaughtered a bunch of. That's that's a, a sad story. But anyway, so I started writing a blog. Clint read it. He liked it, and both of us sort of together found this larger world of book bloggers. Um, I was looking for a job. I was doing some part-time teaching in New York. Clint was coming off a job, and he was on a year of paternity leave with his first daughter. And because Canada. Because Canada. Uh, yeah. And he's kind of looking around for something to do. And he sort of calls me one day and says, you know, I think we could make a company out of like a book blog or something. It's like, what do you think? And I was like, uh, well, let's think about it. So, And we kind of looked around and we thought, well, what if we got a bunch of these book bloggers we read and like, put them all under one platform, put some real technology and money and marketing and everything behind it? Could we make a company out of it? And that's that's what happened. Um, it started. The first post went up October 3rd third. F- third, third of t- uh, 2011, and uh, Rebecca came on part-time real quick after and then full-time May of 2012, something yeah, like that? Yeah, I
1: think it was May of 2012. Um, something and like that. Then I've had all the jobs.
0: Yeah, and then Amanda <laughs> was Amanda was one of the first stable of writers and then did was a contributing editor for a while, and my timeline of that is completely gone. I'm sorry, Amanda. When, yeah,
2: mine is too. You know? I'm, I'm, no, I'm not good at it either. Um, and then I'm Amanda came <laughs> on
0: full-time to run Food Riot, our uh, dearly departed site about food, February, I think, of... Uh, 2013, if my memory is right about that. And so now we have, let's see, we have 12 full-time employees? Nine. Nine. Um, oh, we're going to have a couple more coming yeah, up. Yeah, anyway. I just
1: spent a week doing meetings explaining yeah. this.
0: So. Yeah, nine, <laughs> nine with a couple more coming. We have, Amanda, how many writers do we have for, for active writers on Book Riot now? Do you know? Um, 73. They're active? Yes. Is that many? Yeah, seventy some odd. Um, most of the writers write what? Once every couple of weeks, is that what the kind of the bi weekly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bi weekly. And uh, that's how it got started. And um, Clint and I rattled the cages of friends and family to to get some startup money. Um, not that much. Uh, Clint and I didn't get paid for the first two and a half years, I wanna say, two two and a half years. Um, finally getting a paycheck now, which is good. But you know, we we funded it however we could and there was a business there and we believed in it and Stuck through and here we are. So that's how it got started. Um,
1: And Amanda and I have both done videos about kind of our origin stories and how our careers and books came to be that are on our YouTube channel. Uh, So you can get all the in-depth details about that too. And watch us both get schmoopy about book writing. Oh, well, that's very nice (laughs) of you to (laughs) say.
0: Um, Isn't brainchild a (laughs) weird word? Brainchild Brainchild, a weird world. That's a weird world. Word, excuse me. Okay, Mm -hmm. anyway, I just didn't need to notice that. All right, so there's that. All right, let's go to some specific things. Uh, Here's one about Disney and Star Wars.
1: Oh, we should answer her Morrison question, (laughs) or do do you want to do do them all together?
0: uh, Let's just, okay, so we got a bunch of people asking about Morrison. Um, A, sort of what was our first Morrison, and then the other question is basically where to start, right? Is that Mm -hmm. kind of the questions? Uh, My first Morrison was beloved in AP English as a junior in high school.
1: Man, that's, that's where rough. It was.
0: I had this dual. It, we called it, it was called block, but you had AP AP American Lit and AP American History side by side, taught by team, taught by a history teacher and a literature teacher, um, and all the nerds in my big high school in Lawrence, Kansas were in there, um, and we did around the time we were doing Civil War and slavery, Beloved was the choice. So we followed American history. uh, chronologically, but then we slotted in literature to go with the historical time periods, but it could be from any era. Um, And it blew me away. And I still think in a lot of ways, I haven't recovered from reading Morrison Mm. that first time. (laughs) Um, So that was my first Morrison.
1: Mine was the bluest eye. um that Suzanne said in her question that she's reading them chronologically in class and that it's interesting to watch the development. and that's exactly the experience that I had. Um my senior year of college, I took a a capstone seminar that was just Toni Morrison with a professor named Brooks Busan uh, who had nice. spent her, isn't that a great name? Uh, yeah. who had spent her whole career studying and writing about. Tony Morrison. And so we started with The Bluest Eye and we read all of the extant novels at that time, uh, which in chronological order up through Love. And for some reason, she skipped Tar Baby. She never explained why. So I read Tar Baby for the first time just a few years ago. But um, yeah, started with The Bluest Eye, read them all in order, like one book a week. And then we got two weeks for Beloved.
0: Oh, really? Not for mm-hmm. Son of Solomon, even though it's way longer. Hmm, Interesting.
1: Yeah, two weeks for Beloved, I think, but just because there's so much to unpack there. But Paradise is, the, I think, the longest one or was the longest one at that time, at least. And um, maybe we got two weeks for that one also. I don't know. Paradise is my favorite, um, unrelated to anything.
0: Amanda?
2: (laughs) Oh, my first was also, so beloved in high school for class. I don't remember what year. I remember I was either fifteen or sixteen, and it was so mortifying and hard to read for me that it put me off of Toni Morrison until my very late twenties. Oh, is that right? So, well,
0: yes. Well, in your very <laughs> late twenties, wasn't that long ago?
2: No, I'm only thirty. Yeah, yeah. like two years like 50, ago.
0: Probably not like twenty five <laughs> years ago and I started uh, catching up with mom <laughs> um, Well, it
2: put me off of her for like. 10, a solid 10 years, yeah, yeah, ten, or, yeah, yeah. 10 or 12 years. And then I started up again uh, about two years ago and
0: I'm fine now. I You're fine. Come. You've made, made it through. Well, there's, there's the stuff with the cows and the whipping. It's yeah, like, it no, is, it is. Just, and
1: when you find out what happened to Setha. <sighs>
0: yeah. Swinging the babies. Well, and the children. Yeah, that right.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. Right. It, is, it is hard as a high schooler, I think, to say, you know what, I want more of this. I mean, you know, yeah, like no. No. it's powerful. And you're like, wow, that was something. But it's like, what's the – give me a, another uh, heap and helping of that. Uh, it's pretty tricky too. Yeah, We got other, also oh, – go oh,
1: I was going to just read the next yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from Katie, she wanted to know if she were to tackle Toni Morrison's complete works in this year, having only read Beloved before, would we recommend reading them in the order they are published or in a different order and why? Jeff, you wrote the Start Here chapter
0: about yeah, this. Yeah, I mean – if you're gonna read the whole Morrison, I guess it doesn't matter. The start here chapter is really like to get a taste and decide if this is an author you wanted to like do a deep dive on. So I think the order I recommended was, "Bluest Eye," "Paradise," "Beloved." I think is what I said. Mm-hmm. Um, "Beloved" is the most difficult, both stylistically and thematically. Um, mm-hmm. The "blue Bluest Eye" is, I think, as it's it's the first one, but you you get a good taste of her writing style her um, political and artistic concerns, and the, the the light touch of magical realism, but also the very dreamlike, difficult to follow, that sort of Faulknerian thing she has going on where you don't always know what's happening uh, necessarily, yeah. but it's mm-hmm. not as it's not as hardcore as, say, what happens in Beloved, where you're really moving back and forward in time and space and perspective without many guideposts to follow you there. I, I think Bluest Eye is a good place to, to start Um, If you are going to read them all, I think you could do worse in chronological order. I I don't know. You know, that's kind of what I would say.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I reread all of them right before Home came out a few years ago, and I did it in chronological order again, um, just because that seemed like the thing to do. And that's what I had done the first time. But she is a writer whose works sort of speak back to each other. Um, The new ones carries similar themes to the old ones. And so it's interesting to be able to watch how she develops her thinking and her exploration of those themes, but also beloved jazz and paradise are commonly referred yeah. to and thought of and taught as a trilogy of sorts, like not in the traditional, they have any characters connected or any even obvious, uh, on the face things to do with each other. But, uh, the scholarly writing about those three books connects them in interesting ways. And so I, I think it is important to read those in order if you are going to be doing that kind of thinking about them. If you're not trying to, like, approach it from a, an analytical perspective, I would, like, pick them up and read them in the order that they appeal to you. Um, Sula is short. It's the second one. And jazz is her short. First like, and yeah, Jazz is Bluest short. Louis Eye is short. Yeah. Um, Tar Baby is pretty short and like one of the more accessible ones, I think. Um,
0: it's also the only one not set in the U.S. mostly. It's set right, in the Caribbean, right. which is interesting, and there's a lot of Caribbean mythology. It, it does stand apart for a lot of reasons. For me, the, the, three, the three pillars are Paradise, Beloved, and um, Song of Solomon. Those are mm-hmm. the, the big ones, you know, where those are going to be talked about as long as we're alive for sure. And then The Bluest Eye as a first and more sort of compact version of that. But you know, there's there's definitely periods like any, everything after paradise is sort of of a piece. I would say, yeah, um, it's uh, love, a mercy, home, and now God help the child. They're all shorter. They're more like they feel like a little a little to me more like light motifs. You know, if you put them all together, maybe you'd get a song of psalm or something like that. Um, but much like Philip Ross later work, they're they're smaller, they're more focused, uh, and more in a way. I don't know. I, I find them harder to get my hands around. Yeah, I think she's degree.
1: she's doing something different than yeah. she was doing 25 years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it's it's worth watching that. I would definitely not start with the newest ones. I was just talking no, to somebody yesterday no. who said Home was her first Toni Morrison. Yeah. And like that's that's a good book. Like by any other author, it's a great book. But in the Toni Morrison oeuvre, it's like one of the okay ones. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> um, a good point. Yeah.
1: So I would start with the the stuff that she's famous for. She's famous for those for a reason. Um, Sula, I think is the first the first one that has the really kind of weird stuff in it like
0: um, where I don't you know, blue The I bluest eye does have weird stuff yeah.
1: and difficult there's there's difficult stuff in every book yeah. but I don't know Sula is the first one that I remember being like, oh, so this is one of those authors that like if you actually think you know what's going on all the time, you're
0: really lost. <laughs> I think if you got, Let's say you you dropped in from outer space and you just had all the Toni Morrison books on a table in front of you without the the dates on them. Mm. I think it would be hard to put them in order, like which one was written first. Do you? Yeah.
2: I would do it backwards. I would assume that these later, these last four Yes, that's a really excellent point. Because they're shorter and, mm, you know, it's like she's kind of working up to Beloved and Song of Solomon. It would feel like Beloved
0: and Song of Solomon would be the last ones to me. Yeah. Something like that, which is interesting. I mean, the start here, the reading pathways is really if people like are nervous about it. That's kind of the idea. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. I'm worried about, you know, anxiety. But if you're going to dive in and you're going to read them, um, basically anything before Paradise is a good starting place. And if you like all those, then do the last few. Mm-hmm. You know, come back and... Be and hit religious. us
1: up on Twitter and we'll talk about them. Yes,
0: definitely. God yeah. Help, us, God help <laughs> the Child it comes out a couple weeks, right?
2: April 21st. I, I cannot wait. I want to talk to everybody about that book. I have so many thoughts. Yeah,
0: I, we there's been a lot of, like, um, restrained... Talk in the book riot back channels about the book. Uh, I'm I'm waiting till day I'm waiting till release day. I'm gonna go down and pick up a hard copy. And yeah. I haven't been able upright. to make
1: myself read it early. I'm I think I'm waiting Guys. too. I don't I just can't. Like I have I had the paper <laughs> galley. I was in the random house offices this week and they gave me a finished hard copy and I wanted to kiss it, but I also can't read it yet. I just can't.
0: <laughs> it needs to be its own Yeah, event. it's like it's a separate thing. It's a it's a place apart. Um, all right, let's do a couple of specific things. Um, this is from Rob. He's asking about Star Wars. So, this is Jeff. Uh, to try and distill these ideas into a pair of related questions, what do you think of um, Disney's decision to make all previously published Star Wars work non canon? How can they redeem Star Wars to fill its promise of being an inclusive universe? So, for those of you who may not be complete dorks about Star Wars, what's, what's happened is Disney this year, or I guess it was a couple of years ago, bought the rights to all the Star Wars intellectual property from George Lucas. Um, and all the characters, all the movies, the right to make future movies, whatever. And as part of that, they have said now – and there was – I don't think thousands is an exaggeration. Thousands of comic books and video games and novels set in the Star Wars universe that was called the expanded universe. Basically, the canon has always been the movies, the six movies now. And then everything else was called expanded universe. Um, and Disney, now that they're coming out with these new movies, the first of which comes out in uh, December of this year, they said basically all that other stuff that wasn't the movies is now gone. We don't have to be beholden to any of the plot things that happened or what happened to Chewbacca or Boba Fett and the Sarlacc and blah, 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 and they're, they're rebooting basically everything that's not. So there's going to be a whole series of Star Wars stuff coming out before the first movie. Friend of the site, Chuck Wendig, is writing um, one of the post- Return of the Jedi pre Force Awakens books, which I'm excited to see. There's going to be there's going to be um, comic books and everything else. So what do I think of that? I think this is what happens when giant corporations buy giant intellectual property works. You know, they <laughs> paid something like four and a half billion dollars for it. And if you pay four and a half billion dollar for something and you don't like um, what's exists, then you get to do that. Um, and how are you going to make redeem Star Wars to fill its problems of being an inclusive universe? I'm not holding out my breath. I'm not holding my breath for giant international mega corporations to do a great job with inclusivity. I'm, I'm not. I mean, I've heard there's some, been some there's been some good signs, and maybe they care more about it. But uh, you know, I, I'm not holding my breath. That's, my, I, that's yeah. My it'll
1: about. be a pleasant surprise yeah. if they're yeah. able to
0: do that. Um, I think they'd be smart to be better about it, but uh, I don't know if they will be.
1: So here's an interesting one from uh, Emma, who sent us several questions, but uh, one of them is, a small trend that I love recently is memoirs around and histories of classic and life-changing books, like Rebecca Mead's My Life in Middlemarch and Maureen Corrigan's So We Read On, which is about The Great Gatsby. She wants to know, if each of us were to write such a book about a book, what work would we choose? Uh, That really feels like an Amanda question. Yeah, really?
2: Yeah. Anna Karenina, I reread once every, like, two or three three years and have since uh, my early teenage years and it's an interesting uh, how I feel about Anna as a character uh, is a, like a touchstone of my own character because mm. it changes every time I read the book mm. and um, I think yeah that would probably be like I started off hating her she's so obnoxious and she's so selfish and she's so whatever but now I read it and I'm like oh man I feel that pain, you know,
0: because
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm a grown-up.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, when you're a teenager, it's much more like just why are you being so whiny? Stick it out. Yes. Things aren't that bad. I felt the same way about um, The Awakening when I first read it. Like, mm-hmm. God, Edna, geez, yeah. just suck it up. But now I'm like, get the hell out of there. Like, <laughs> yeah, go real- into the ocean, man. <laughs> just pull the trigger. Or like, you know, play the piano and screw your – or don't screw your husband as the case might be. Um, so <laughs> –
1: Play the piano and screw your husband. It would be such a good show title. title.
0: What would be your book, uh, Shinsky? Oh,
1: um. Using Amanda's, this is the book that I reread that's a touchstone for who I am model, probably Sula. Um, Mm. I really loved it when I read it in that Morrison class. And it's the one of her books that I've reread the most and probably the book that I've reread the most in general in my life. Um, I have the same copy now that's like 12 years old and has marginalia from like eight or nine different versions of myself taking notes on it. And uh, so some of them are really cringeworthy because they're things that I thought were incredibly profound when I was 20. Um, and it's interesting to go back and visit myself that way through mm-hmm. a story that, uh, that I've related to in different ways so many times. But if I had to guess, like presuming that I'm not writing this book about a book for another 10 or 20 years, um, I think the book that I'm really going to be thinking about for a long time and that I've been talking about a lot for the last few years is When Women Were I Birds by Terry Thomas Williams. I'm surprised you did you out, say but... The Sparrow. Yeah, I don't I feel like that was really pivotal if if I had to write the, this book 2 or 3 years ago that's the book I would have written about but um it's bu- it's less of a touchstone for me now than it than it has been or maybe the fourth Marilyn Robinson book that we're apparently going to get.
0: Mm, hey. Well, that's good. I I for me it's a toss up. Um Gilead I've read several times it's important to me personally. Um so that would be one. Though it's it doesn't quite have the It's kind of – it's not – slide is the wrong word, but it's more – It's quiet. It's quieter. It doesn't have as much, I guess, structure or or as big of a skeleton. I think I would choose The Iliad um, myself. Uh, One, I love the book. And I would – maybe the hook would be like – I read The Iliad as a prose translation in high school and with this crazy teacher that I didn't like. And didn't really get it. But then I had to reread it again when I was doing my PhD at Columbia because I had to teach it. <laughs> I taught the great books course that all freshmen at Columbia have to take. Uh, I taught that for a couple years. And I re-encountered it again and having to dive into it so that you can teach 18-year-olds how to how to access it. I think I came into my own as a teacher, figuring out how to teach the Iliad. Um, I made great connections with students around the Iliad. I think of several pivotal scenes in the Iliad. Often, uh, if I were ever to get a literary tattoo, which is me segueing into another question we get, um, there's a line – there's, a, there's a, in book nine of the Iliad when Achilles has, has gotten pissed off at uh, Agamemnon and he's deciding, you know, I'm not going to fight this stupid war because Agamemnon is stupid and it's all stupid and I'm the best. Um, and he gets into the tent <laughs> – well, that's what, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the uh, Jeff's that notes excellent. version. Yeah. That's so good. And he, he basically, some advisors, Odysseus, Phoenix, and uh, I can't remember the third person's name, come into the tent as emissaries from Agamemnon, and they each make a different pitch to him for why he should come back and fight for the, uh, for the Greeks. And he has, he has the easiest night, time falling off Odysseus. It's not a big deal. The other guy he kind of parries very well, but Phoenix is his father's oldest friend, and kind of a surrogate father figure to him. And he says, you know, do it for do it for me, do it for your father, do it for your father's name. And Achilles says to him, you know, let's leave here and you and I can go off and start, you know, our own kind of, I, I guess, sort of principality. And he says this thing, it, it's, I, I used to know the Greek, it says, be king equally with me. Mm. And it's really the first time where the power and... um the power system of of ancient Greece is questioned, and it's the first time in Western mm-hmm. literature where someone says, the system is screwed up, let's try something else. Um, and that's always – I've always found that to be one of the things I look to books for is like someone saying, this is messed up, let's try something else. And that it's there in the very beginning – of what we understand Western literature to be, I've always found very powerful. So I think something about teaching and literature and reading, I would do kind of use the Iliad as a frame for that if I'm writing the book.
1: yeah. Um- our next sponsor this week is The West Wing Changed Me, which is a project that was created by Claire Hanscom. She's a longtime Book Riot reader and listener, and we have you know fanned out about The West Wing like crazy on Twitter. Uh, many of you heard me talk about it extensively and repeatedly last year when I was binge-watching it on Netflix. Uh, Claire wrote a piece about how The West Wing changed her for a literary journalism class that she took, and she found out that there were so many people out there who had stories like her there are people who credit the show not just for their careers in politics but also for stronger relationships with the people that they watched the show with Um, there are people who say that the west wing helped them uh, climb out of depression people have named children and pets and apps and games and all kinds of stuff after the west wing characters there are even some beautiful geniuses who run twitter accounts that are you know fictional accounts Uh, that claim to be representing the different characters of the West Wing. And so even after you finish watching the show, you can see the characters still continue to tweet about politics and to interact with each other on Twitter now in 2015, years and years after the show has ended. People have walked down the aisle to the theme song from the West Wing. And the show is just a really huge piece of culture, not just in the time that it aired, but now uh, that especially it's on Netflix and we can all watch it. So The West Wing Changed Me is an anthology that Claire is working on putting together. Unlike a lot of our sponsors, this is a book that doesn't exist yet, but it's one that you can contribute to. Uh, If The West Wing had an impact on your life, whether it's, you know, a personal relationship, something with your career, you learned to think about something in a new way, it impacted your politics, whatever. If watching The West Wing changed you in some way, tell your story, tell it well. Uh, You can check out The West Changeme.com and get your submissions in by May 1st, and you just might find that I, your submission ends up in this book. You don't have to write about yourself also. um, If you want to write an essay or literary journalism or interview people um, about how the West Wing changed them or about how they perceive the West Wing in pop culture, that's just fine. Uh, The very best ones will be chosen by Claire for the anthology, and she's aiming to reflect as wide a variety of experiences as possible while also maintaining, of course, the highest quality writing. Again, you can check out thewestwingchangedme.com, write about your experience, write about someone else's experience, place the West Wing in the larger context of pop culture and TV and workplace shows and politics, or I don't know. I mean, I once said that I wanted to see a show that was basically the West Wing in space about a bunch of astronauts. So maybe you could even write something experimental. Uh, get your details at thewestwingchangedme.com, get your ideas and submissions into to clear- Claire Hanscom by May 1st. If you do submit, be sure to, you know, tell all of us and let us know so we can cross our fingers for you. And uh, in the meantime, we will continue nerding out to celebrate the West Wing. Thanks again to Claire and thewestwingchangedme.com for sponsoring this week's episode. And tattoos yeah, we got a question from Jess who wants to know about book tattoos because she's considering a line from Marilyn Robinson but is afraid no. it's too long and she wants to know if I, if any of us have them, are they quotes, are they images, whatever. Um, Amanda and I both do. Amanda has a lot of them. <laughs> like you have that you have several right That's, that are all literary.
2: What's
0: the longest one you have?
2: Uh- Well, gosh, I don't know. Uh, Well, if we're counting, do we count Bible
0: verses? Yeah, sure. Well, you tell us if you want to count them. Sure. If not, don't. I I don't know.
2: Um, (laughs) I have a verse from the book of Daniel, uh, 12, three on my torso, which is very long. It goes hip to hip. However, having twins sort of distorted that. And you can't really read it anymore. So if you are considering getting a long quote, do not put it on your tummy. A little ironical a you, that a Bible verse is the
0: one that has been distorted over time for you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Zing. <laughs> um, and then on my arm, I have the cover of an Ayn Rand early short stories uh, collection which is an image of a, a woman walking through fire and underneath i have of that because i love irony uh i have a bible verse another bible verse from the book <laughs> of john um and that i'm actually going to get covered next year uh because i fell out of my ayn Rand phase obviously and oh, I thought you were don't the bible
0: like... verse covered you're going to keep the verse can get well that yeah it. well
2: they, that the verse and the the image are together so i'm going to get oh, the whole thing covered okay um, and then what else? I'm making a poem out of lines from my favorite books on my back. I'm not very far into that yet, but I've got a line from Pablo Neruda's 17th sonnet and a line from The Great Gatsby so far on my back. And the next thing that's going to go there is going to be one of the last lines of Middle March by George Eliot. Um, I think that's it. One, two, three. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, let's see. I have one literary. Tattoo. I have three tattoos and one's literary. Um, And it's a line from Fahrenheit 451 near the end where they're out in the woods with the old men that carry the books in their heads. And one of them is talking to Guy Montag and says, um, stuff your eyes with wonder, see the world, like go out and do things. And then he says, uh, ask no guarantees, ask for no security. There never was such an animal. And um, that line has meant a lot to me throughout my life, but really started to take new shape several years ago. Like uh, when I, kind of the years between 28 and 30, like my life was changing a lot and my relationships were changing and we were running this company that was new and scary and really exciting. And, um, that like go out and do and experience things and don't kid yourself that such a thing as like a sure thing or that security really exists, go and do, um, because there never was that animal, uh, started to kind of become a life philosophy type thing to me of, um, just take the risk and find a way to make the things that are scary, exhilarating. And so I have, there never was such an animal on my shoulder. Um, and next week, Amanda and I are getting, uh, we're getting comic book tattoos. Uh, Kelly Kelly Sue DeConnick and, uh, Valentine Delandro write This great new comic called bitch planet. Um, I hope we don't have to bleep that. Um, yeah, we can leave
0: that
1: in which uh, women who don't behave are sent off to ba- like basically prison on another planet and are labeled non-compliant. And they have they are tattooed with this NC logo. and uh, and so we are both getting. NC on ourselves next week. So next week, I'll have two literary tattoos. <laughs> um,
2: I forgot one. I forgot my giant forearm tattoo because it's oh. covered by my sweater right now. Uh, I have a line from Peter Pan on my left forearm. takes up my whole forearm. It's, uh, have at thee. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> from the sword fight between Peter and Hook. Um, and I got that. It's, uh, I was reminded because of the work thing. I got it because of work, because when I started uh, working full time, Here at Book Riot, I I encountered kind of really awful trolling, like sexist Mm -hmm. trolling for the first time in my life. And it's continued and it's just a part of the job and it's fine. I'm not like complaining, but um, it's kind of my version of uh, come at me, bro. Because (laughs) despite the fact that it continues and and is getting progressively worse, uh, the larger the site gets, I feel like I'm just I just don't care. I'm just not daunted by the crazy things that men call me now. So Um, sorry. I forgot.
0: that's a good segue mm. to. Uh, I'm always curious about how people handle criticism. So my <laughs> question is: Do you get criticism about the podcast? If so, how do you deal with it? Has there been criticism that you've been that you've taken to heart and used to change something about the podcast? Uh, we do get criticism, all the time. Uh, all the time. Uh, recently, it's been around um, the amount of airtime we give to feminism and diversity questions, and I take absolutely zero of that to heart. Uh, I think. You know, we get iTunes reviews or comments or uh, email um, where people say they talk too much about diversity or feminism and just talk about books. And to that I say, um, "Sorry to lose you, lose you as a listener." Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't take that to heart. Um, the yeah. criticism I do take to heart. Sorry, I'll I'll go to criticism I do take to heart in a second. Talk more about that, you guys.
1: Oh yeah, I I think. Since we, I've said on the show before, like since we do our work in public, criticism of our work is in public too. And Mm -hmm. it seems normal now having worked on the internet for so long. But like when I talk to friends, you know, who like go to an office every day and if something is wrong with their work or someone doesn't like it, it's like a conversation between two people, not a conversation that like the whole internet can see. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really... Mm -hmm interesting dynamic uh, to have it be out that way. But part of the job then is being able to develop a sense of which criticism is worth paying attention to and which criticism isn't because there just is so much of it from so many corners um, on a site. Mm -hmm. that's the size that our site is now and with voices that are as um, unapologetically loud as we are about things. So I feel the exact same way. Like when someone is like, well, you're talking about diversity too much. Okay. Well, if you think that there's such a thing as caring too much about diversity, then this is just not the right place for you. And Mm -hmm. you can go somewhere else. Um, And people have, yeah, that's fine. People have a really hard time. I think grasping that, that we don't want everyone here. um, And that we're not going to change our show to make them as an individual happy or change book riot to make them as an individual happy that we're doing a specific thing. Um, I don't take that stuff seriously. If someone, you know, thinks we're talking about uh, how, why does everything have to be about, you know, feminism sometimes? Well, you know, half of us are women. And also world.
0: we don't talk about it all. I mean, that's, no. the, that's the other thing is it's, it's just yeah. bogus criticism. It's like... right okay like we do, so every now and again we spend 20 minutes on it yeah uh, we do
1: shows about all kinds
0: of news <laughs> yeah.
1: all the time and if if you perceive that it's always about diversity then that's like maybe something to interrogate for yourself if it really feels like it's that mm-hmm. pervasive um yeah i don't pay attention to that either it's at this point i feel like i have pretty good sense of oh well this person if you're a longtime listener of the show or you talk to us on twitter yeah. a bunch are theres yeah. some relationship where we we know who you are you're not just a random Drive person we've never it heard of before who like the first time you decide to say anything to us is that you don't like diversity, um, we do listen to that stuff, and I, I'm having a hard time coming up with specific examples. But I know that that we have had those in the past, where like I've gotten an email, or Jeff's gotten an email, or a tweet, or something, and one of us has said to the other one, "Like this came in, and I think we should give this consideration mm-hmm. because this is a, mm-hmm. you know, it's a person who's been reading the site for a long time, or part of the community, or listening to the show, and even if we ultimately don't make." The change we do give time and weight and thought to um, to what we're doing for the people that really are here and are part of it.
0: I think so. I think a couple people mentioned getting rid of the author birthday thing. Actually, mm. like originally, someone said, you know, I, I like the show, but that part drags or it's too long or whatever. Um, that's when one thing that's hard is Amanda and Rebecca get much more criticism than I do, and because everything is the worst, but. <laughs> I think as you as the site gets bigger, we get more and more feedback in general. I think it does become hard to separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of criticism because I think by necessity and amanda's tattoo, I think shows it the Havathi is that we have to do some self care and protection um mm-hmm. and and part of that is saying tough dude, and it's almost always a dude uh. And, you know, keeping a shell and just not letting everything in. But when you don't let everything in, you it's hard to know because we know we're not perfect and we've got stuff to work on. And, you know, I'm sort of constantly um, unhappy with every, you know, I'm always trying to make things better um, in that way. So I do try like we had we had an episode on the site where I think all, I would speak for all three of us where we got a little feistier in some comments about a particular piece than maybe mm-hmm. we'd love to be on an ongoing basis. Um, and so we sort of regrouped and came back to then, I mean, I rely on Rebecca and Amanda a lot. If I see a piece of criticism to say, is this legit? Or what do you think? Um, and I think collectively, that helps us.
1: Yeah, we have those conversations with each other a lot about, yeah. like, yes. is this is this a thing even worth responding to? And if I respond to it? How should I respond? How to How much it?
0: vitriol should I put um, behind this? Yeah. And
2: this like, morning, this morning I said to Jeff, yeah. I, I was like so tempted to respond to somebody who was calling me names, and I was like, just talk me off this ledge because it's, <laughs> it's a loop.
0: You usually know never... you usually know yeah. <laughs> that you shouldn't do it, but that doesn't mean you don't want to. Yeah, yeah,
2: or just having
1: that, like I guess a lot of it. This is an interesting question from a listener because a lot of this happens where our readers and our listeners can't see it. It happens with just the yeah. t- like a combination of two of us or all three of us talking to each other. Um, like ap- after the episode that you were just mentioning, like we had a phone call where we talked for 45 minutes about how we handled that thing and what we felt good about and what we didn't feel so good about and what we could do differently Uh, Between the balance of the editors on the site, like if we're taking really heavy hits, how do we, you know, take good care of ourselves and make sure that like that we're being good to ourselves, but also that that enables us to do a better job of like doing the kinds of work and the kinds of responses in our comment section that we want to do. But um, we're yeah, like everybody else, our best selves don't always show up. Um, We're going to make mistakes, too, and we're going to make them in public.
0: I think that the thing that's helped me, and I think you guys have, if you don't consciously do it, I think okay. I see you do it, is it's not helpful when you get someone saying something nasty about you to say, um, the temptation is to people just ignore it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think that works No, for me. I think no, I don't either. The, the thing that works is to feel it for a little bit and then move on. Like, that hurts. That sucks. That guy's a jerk. This is the worst. <laughs> I'm going to go eat some donuts. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, live to fight another day. Uh, yeah, I think regard.
1: it might look like we're ignoring it. Like, I don't respond to everyone who calls me yeah. a name because that is not worth my time. Um, but I do. That doesn't mean I don't feel anything about it. Right. Um, and it's exactly that. Like, I, sort of the routine is, all right, well, that's going to sting for a little bit or like, um. There have been some really mean iTunes reviews about mm-hmm. me and it's impossible to read a thing like that about yourself even if you know – like even if I know rationally.
0: I don't know what kind of Buddhist transcendental <laughs> monk, <laughs> no-shoe-wearing like, master yeah, can, you have to be. Right? I can
1: know rationally. Like anybody who doesn't like these things is not a person that's right for the site and I can also – take apart the, like, the dynamic that's in those comments of, like, well, you don't want a woman to be funny because that's trying too hard and you don't want a woman to, like, acknowledge sexuality because then that's using sex. Like, I can analyze those things, but it doesn't make the sting not exist. Um, and we do say those things to each other. I'm like, well, you know, I'm just going to sit here and like, feel this for, for a minute mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, be angry about it or feel hurt by it. Um, it's really weird reading stuff about yourself on the internet. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: it just really is I think, weird. Uh, I
2: think I, a good rule of thumb is uh, when you're trying to figure out what criticism is valid and which is not. When you're, especially when you're talking about diversity or, or feminism or anything like that, is to uh, parse if the person who's giving it to you is a marginalized voice. And if not, then what they're pro- what they're saying is probably BS. Mm. Like if if the person who is coming to you about your criticism or about your thing about feminism is a woman, then I would I'm much more likely to listen to a voice that's marginalized when I'm talking about those issues. But when, if it's just like another white man coming to tell me that I talk too much about women, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just, sorry. I mean, I was just saying, there's also, I think like a lot of element of trust
1: and going to each other um, for this stuff. Yeah. Like if I, if I get some sort of criticism and it stings a lot and I then have to ask myself, does this sting just because it hurts or does it sting? Because maybe I think there's an element of truth there. Like I'm going to go to Amanda mm-hmm. and be like, is this real? Like, is this a real thing I should think about? Or is this just really messed up, like, you know, sort of lady training stuff in my brain that makes me worried anytime someone doesn't like me? Um, Do I need to pay any attention to it? And I have to trust that if it is real, Amanda will tell me, actually, yeah, that's a thing that you should think about or work on. And then if it's not real and she says it's not real, I should also believe that.
0: I get, I mean, I get the hottest under the collar I mean, I don't actually get that much directed at me. Sometimes it does mean iTunes review or an email or something like that. I get hottest on the collar when it's – well, you guys especially I get protective of. But I think even more so our, our sort of writer core. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes. They put an idea out there. They expose themselves. They put a, an idea that's not the easiest thing for a bunch of people to hear. Um, that's where I will – and, and some of it I, I'm proud to do. And I will also be my least best self in those moments as well. Yeah. When, yeah. You know, that's someone sick. is calling one of our writers a name and they don't live it like we do. Um, and they're, they're doing it cause they like to do it. They do get paid some, but not enough to put up with the stuff they have to put up with. Um, and I just want them to feel supported. And I want that person who said something to know that that's not okay. We see and hear you. We know what you're doing. Um, and call BS on it. Uh, so, anyway, that that's that's the that's the other thing too is the, that's where I get the most irrational myself, I think. Um all right, let's get off that. Where where do we want to go next? You guys have a couple you want to Oh, we should do a sponsor.
1: Yeah, we've got Audible back.
0: Tell me about Audible.
1: This week, uh, Audible is an audio book everything Everything app (laughs) they uh, (laughs) (laughs) we've had Audible on here a million times Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from fiction, nonfiction, bestsellers, every category imaginable and unlike streaming or a rental service with Audible you own your books so you pay like a monthly fee, you get a certain however many credits you pay for, you download those audiobooks, they are yours forever you can access them on the free Audible app on your iPhone, your Android, your Windows phone, 500 other different audible compatible devices um, and the my library feature lets you access your books anytime from any device uh, they also have an immersion reading feature that combines with the kindle fire hd so you can listen and read at the same time and it highlights the text as you go along um, all three of us love audiobooks and listen to them a lot jeff is only reading audiobooks 100% in 2015. this year uh, yeah, you can go nice. to audiblepodcast.com slash book riot to get a free 30 day trial and a free audiobook. And that will also let them know that we sent you. It supports the show and hopefully they will continue to sponsor. Um, are you guys listening to anything good right now?
0: Um, I, I'm listening to a couple things, but I was yes. going to mention my dad and my dad's in town. And we mm-hmm. were just talking about audiobooks um, a little bit. And we were both sort of uh, fanboying over um, the Killer Angels. Um, by Jeff Shara, which is about the, it's a, it's historical fiction about the Battle of Gettysburg. It's magisterial. It's an unbelievable audio listen. Um, If you're out on a road trip, it's starting, you know, it's April. Road trips are, summer road trips are what, four or five weeks away, right? Starting. I'm taking
1: one on Saturday. There
0: you go. So that it's, (laughs) it's unbelievable uh, on audio. Um, I think Amanda, you've listened to that on audio. I feel like I talked to someone else about that. Maybe you've just read the book. Killer
2: I Angels, I read.
1: No, read yeah, the book I anyway. Um, oh, I think um, Daniel Jose Older was the one. Yes. you like, were talking about it, and then he tweeted. And then that he was tweeted about it. To we it.
0: talked. We had a nice exchange about uh, geeking out over um, the Killer Angels. Right now, I'm reading um, a pair of books by this business writer because I'm doing my busman's MBA because I'm trying to run a business now and I know nothing about it. Uh, and these are these are businessy self help books that I'm almost embarrassed to say I'm listening to, but they help me. And whatever, go screw yourselves if you don't like it. <laughs> not that I'm uh, self conscious about it.
1: <laughs> well, uh, that segues into what I'm listening yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished. Uh, Mistakes were made, but not by but not by me. Oh, how was it? How is it? It was that? it was pretty good. Um, it's about why we justify foolish beliefs, bad decisions, and hurtful acts. It's by Carol Tavris and Elliot Aronson. Um, I listened to a lot of these like sort of pop psychology cognitive bias books. And so I didn't find that there was a whole lot of stuff that was new to me. But if you're not me and you're not listening to a million of these things, it will be really great and interesting. They look at the psychology and the science of how we talk ourselves into – making bad decisions or doing things that we like think or suspect or even outright know are wrong. And then how we justify those decisions after mm-hmm. the fact and sort of the hill that you slide down of self-justification that leads from, uh, right. I did this one bad thing and instead of admitting the one bad thing and like, you know, walking it back and doing something different. We just as humans, we tend to dig in and then mm. continue to do more and more bad things um, to justify that original thing that we did and to prove to ourselves and to try to prove to everyone else that it's fine. Um, and the, the title comes from like all those public statements that celebrities and politicians have had to make and companies uh, where something went wrong. And rather than saying... We screwed up, they say. Passive voice, mistakes yeah, they say, were made. Right, they say mistakes were made. Yeah. And so this oh, is about that and um, about how to identify those moments in your personal life and your working life. And, you know, if you're a politician or you're running a business or you're just like having a relationship and raising a family, whatever. Um, trying to see those moments that if you step in one direction, you will be potentially stepping yourself onto that slope. And then once you do that thing, tempted to dig in and justify it, um, rather than walking it back. It was really useful as a thought experiment to me to, um, to, and whenever I listen to stuff like this, I find myself like seeing everything through the lens of that book for a little while. But like looking at how we make decisions behind the scenes here and thinking like, oh, are we doing this thing because it, it is the right thing? Or are we just taking this step because we already started this project? And so now we're trying to, you know, dig in and make sure it works rather than ask the question of should we have started this project in the first place? Um, that kind of thing. I thought it was pretty
0: interesting. Amanda?
2: I'm listening to The Checklist Manifesto Ah, right now by uh, Atul Gawande. Mm -hmm. I love it so much. I I missed an exit on the highway listening to this. And that's never happened to me before. Maybe
0: Take the Right Exit should have been on your checklist for that. that It
2: should have, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Atul Gawande wrote Being Mortal, which is a really fascinating look at end-of-life care that was in our last quarterly box. And Jen, um, who was our event director, excuse me, at Book Riot – uh, raved about his other book, The Checklist Manifesto. And it it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a book about the power of checklists, which sounds like, whatever. whatever. Mm. Um,
0: what's the shit? Am- like, like, what's, gave- the, what's the deal? What's he saying? I mean, I don't really get he it. He gives
2: all these examples of like, for example... Um, A surgeon, because he's a surgeon, surgeons in hospitals know the correct procedures for inserting a mainline catheter, which is a catheter that goes into, I think, the vena cava or some giant artery or vein or something in your heart uh, that ICU patients get. And there's a very simple uh, number of steps that that surgeons are supposed to follow when they they do that, but uh, they tend to skip them because lazy or in a hurry or whatever, Mm -hmm. and infections result when they skip steps and so hospitals will have double digit infection rates 10 20 30 percent off of this one procedure and he talks about experiments where they instituted just having a simple checklist and giving the power to the nurse so the nurse has the power to stop a surgeon mm. who is moving forward without doing the steps on the checklist um and some hospitals saw their incidence of infection from main lines drop to zero that's incredible mm. yeah and he so he talks a lot about like how checklists give power to people who um, don't necessarily have it in the beginning of a situation and how that can erase these horrible situations. And he talks a lot about like flight checklists and all that. It's just, it's fascinating.
0: It's fascinating. That is interesting. Because Probably your initial... Most- oh, go ahead.
2: Well, you, you think like, I know what I'm doing. I'm yeah. a professional. I don't need a checklist to do this thing that I've done a million times. But that But in thinking that, that's when you start to get lazy and you miss... You miss steps and you start, you know, reading your own press clippings about how good you are at X, Y, Z procedure. And yeah, it's like a great psychological plus efficiency plus weird look into medicine and all of this, uh, these industries I don't know anything about. It's just great.
0: It's kind of related so to good. the GT, <laughs> one of the central GTD premises, even if you don't use a GTD, a getting things done system is that your brain is a bad place for long term, long term cold storage, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes. you know, it's... Use an outboard trusted system where you, you know, that can live there and you know how everything works. Um Kind of a similar, because it is funny that the most famous professional checklist is the pre-flight checklist, right? Like that's something we all mm-hmm. know exists. Yep. It's weird that we don't think of them for other professions now that I think about it, right? Like, yeah. of course you want Uh-oh. your surgeon to, uh, to go through the right checklist or your anesthesiologist or, you know, the, your mechanic or something mm-hmm. like that. Or like
1: it seems like it. Um, like when I've gotten tattoos, it has seemed like at least they have the checklist in their head of yeah. Like, yeah. now you do this and they're, you know and they're, the tattoo artist is even saying like first I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that and it's going to feel this way and then I'll do this other thing. And you can see that in people's work, um, which I think is really fascinating. So I guess
0: probably anything you do repeatedly that has any amount of complexity might be a good candidate. Like yeah. I do yes. critical linking every day and I do have a checklist of things I should check. But I don't use it every day, and I Amanda, checked, and Amanda does you. check me because he knows I mess it up. But like things like is the link to the right thing, you know, is it <laughs> is it uh, in the right category? Does it have a footer, uh, you know, everything highlighted? Did it get put on Facebook? Is it the right, you know, like that kind of thing? Where I feel like I, you know I've done, god, 500 critical linkings if not more. And I still mess it up mm-hmm. from time to time because I don't use the checklist. Now I'm going to do a checklist because of the student.
2: Well, his, his point is that as as our, as our work becomes more knowledge-based and more complicated and more complex, we yeah. are less and less likely to remember all the steps. Because,
0: of course. But I have
2: an focused yeah. task to behind you and checks.
0: So oh, see, GTD plus. <laughs> I'm going to have to do that book. I'm going to have to listen to that
1: book. There's a question farther, um, farther down in our agenda about, Oh, now I can't find it uh, from someone. Oh, from Kim, who wanted to know as best we can recall the first book that had an impact on us. Um, Ooh. I and she says it could be an emotional impact, moved you to tears, or angered you, or impacted your identity as a reader. Um, I don't, I don't know, but getting things done impacted my life in measurable ways oh, every the single whole day. Do we all have the same answer? Well. <laughs>
0: I mean, I guess you could come a different. It wasn't ways. the first. But no, um, yeah,
1: it wasn't the first. Um, but maybe in like the uh, on the it affects my life every single day, and yeah, it has for that's true. four years. Um,
0: but like, like fiction, in a very sort of practical way, that's yeah. definitely true. Yeah. Um, here's this is an interesting one. I hadn't really thought about to just now. Thinking about practical terms, um, my uncle, uh, my uncle John, um, when. When my his mother died, my my dad and my uncle's mother died. She left them some money, and uh, John wanted to pass me and my brothers on a piece of a thousand bucks. He said, but the stipulation was we had to read this book that he liked about finance, like personal finance guide. It was mm-hmm. called the Motley Fool's Guide. Um, it's a you know kind of a, a couple of English majors wrote a personal finance guide, and it's mm-hmm. it was fun and it was interesting and a very basic and it talked about things like credit card debt and compound interest and taxes and saving. And, um, you know, what is the stock market and what are dividends and the whole thing. Um, so I read the book because a, I'm a book nerd and B I wanted a thousand bones, right? Of course, that's like the easiest thing in the world for me, but it has made a huge difference in my life since I read it when I was 18. Um, and has affected my financial life and, you know, we don't have any debt and, you know, the, we have some savings and have been on the whole, you know, we always pay off our credit cards and things that seem really simple. But personal financial education is so impoverished mm-hmm. in America. Like it's, I always feel like it's something you should have to take in high school like, um, mm-hmm. to know about especially credit card debt as a young person is bad and uh, school loans and just doing those kinds of math. That one really had a huge impact on me and still has an effect on me every day too. And my kids, you know, my family, like yeah. it's a hugely influential book. So yeah, that's
1: I always – that's feel not like
0: a feels the, uh book, but it's <laughs> Yeah, a I difference. feel
1: like the answer to this question is supposed to be yeah, some novel Wind of the that Willows I read.
0: or something.
1: Yeah, and
2: mine is a novel. Okay. Well, oh, take yeah. it away. Take it away
0: then.
2: Sorry. <laughs> uh, the first book that I can recall that had a big impact on me was The Fountainhead. I'm so sorry. Mm.
0: Everyone. <laughs> Let me guess you read it when I you am were that sixteen. Yeah, well, yeah.
2: 15, I think. 15 okay, same diff. And I'm not saying it had a good impact uh-huh. on me. I became inseparable <laughs> for like a good two years, but uh, definitely like totally. Okay, I will say this this, in its defense. It made me think about politics, period. Like before I read that book, I did not care. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. I didn't read the news. Like I had newspapers. I didn't watch the news. I didn't participate. I had no cares to give um, after. I read it, I cared about the wrong things, but but you cared, uh, <laughs> I cared, yeah. And that then eventually, good. I read The Grapes of Wrath, and then that fixed me.
0: Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, you got so the other politics, yeah. Um. I guess, like,
1: to not do another segment on when women were birds uh, about <laughs> the same time I read that, I also read Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed and also Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Like, the year I turned 30 really was a year that I was thinking about like how to be a decent human and how to be like the best possible friend and partner and co-worker, like for the people that are in my life, how to be good to them and for them and have happier relationships all the way around. And um, Daring Greatly is about vulnerability um, and it mixes theory and data with some anecdotal stuff, which I thought was, which is just a really nice mix for me as a reader. Um, but it's about those feelings that you have about how scary it is to really show yourself to someone, um, whether it's to talk about what you know your weaknesses are um, at work, um, whether it's to like tell your partner a thing that a thing about yourself that feels very close and intimate, or to own up to your friend about a way that you hurt them, or um, or, or some truth that you have that's difficult to express. How scary that is, um, but then what the impact and the really positive rewards can be of taking that. Right Risk and showing yourself to people um, and then becoming a person to whom others can show themselves. Um, it made me think so carefully about like what I want my best self to be when someone is taking a risk, telling me something um, and how I want to be when I am open with the people in my lives, And I'm in my life and I'm not perfect at it, but it's a, I think about that book so often and in so many different kinds of uh, interactions with people.
0: Um, let's go from here to, this is a question from, um, uh, let's see, where's the name? Suzanne. Um, I'd like to know how your reading life has changed now that it's part of your day jobs. Do you distinguish between what you read for work and what you're reading for pleasure or is it all the same to you? I enjoy your pocket. Thank you very much. Thank you much, Suzanne, for the question and the, the, the well wishes. Uh, mine, my reading has changed, but not because of what we write about on the site. Like I said before, like, I wasn't running a business before I was doing this, so I didn't have to worry about, like, how to do that. Um, so I, I do do a lot more reading. Like, I need to, I'm need trying to understand stuff about, like, you know, a whole bunch of different things, like boring stuff, like monthly recoup- recurring revenue and cost per acquisitions and things like this, profit margin, things I didn't really know about before. Um, so that's that's changed. But, you know, one thing that's nice about the way we set up the site is that we don't assign people books to read um, the way the book blogs were, at least when the three of us and a bunch of our writers were book blogging actively, it was more like you wrote about what you read kind of organically. Um, and that became the content of the site. And I think that – I don't know if it's true for you guys necessarily as much, but on the whole, our readers aren't reading so that they can figure out something to write. They're writing about what they've been reading. So the, the, the cart is not before the horse uh, in that regard. And that's, that stayed the same for me for sure.
1: Um, yeah, for me too the first few years that I was blogging and publishers were like figuring out that book bloggers were a thing they should pay attention to. I was getting galleys for the first time and publishers always ask like, try to review this around the date of the <laughs> publication, uh, you know, around the publication date. And I thought that I had to. Um, so the first couple years of my blogging life were pretty structured around like this book is coming out on this day. And so like, I should read it in this time period. And then if I'm going to write a thing about it, I should write about it in this time period because a publisher said I had to. And, um, at some point it dawned on me or someone wise who had been doing it longer than I had said something like, well, you know, like you can just take things for coverage consideration and you don't actually work for the publisher. And I was like, oh, right. And that (laughs) became like that became my mantra. And it's the thing I say to new book bloggers more than anything else It's like you don't work for the publishers and you don't know the publisher anything. And uh, at that point, I freed myself up to read whatever I wanted on whatever time frame I wanted to and to only read a thing if I was really interested in it and to write about those things and so that's been my reading and my writing life um, for probably like I've been blogging for almost eight years and so for probably the last four or five mm. um, since we started paying attention to numbers about diversity and representation of women in publishing and representations of people in color, um, in, you know, in books and in book sales, that's changed my reading life. Um, I'm paying more attention to who I read and I'm actively seeking out books by people of color, um, where, up until a couple of years ago, I was just reading whatever you know crossed my path or showed up on my doorstep, and most of those books were books by white people. Um, so that sort of effortful getting and reading of books um, by people that I might not have encountered before is a change. That's a really positive change. I feel like my reading life is richer for it. But I don't have any of that like oh, working in books has changed my love of books because there's not any requirement that I read specific things.
0: Amanda, you said on the Reading Lies episode you did that blogging changed the kind of books you read. Right? Is that, is that, yeah, do totally. I remember that right? Yeah. And remind me yeah, of the nature of that. I was
2: only reading classics. Oh, right, because uh, your blog
0: was it. dead white guys. That's right.
2: It was dead white guys, yeah. yeah. And I, I was only reading, um, yeah, classics because that's just what I was in the mood to read for 10 years, I guess. I don't know. I didn't really <laughs> examine it too
0: closely. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, uh, but then I, when I got a job as a, a bookseller at an independent bookstore in my town when my kids were born um, and I had to get out of my house, she required that part of my being hired was that I had to read people by read books by people that were alive, and so um, that that altered my reading a little bit. But it really totally changed when I started working here. I mean, it's the same. I'm the same as Rebecca in that I don't read things that publishers send me just because they send them to me or um, because of pressure from, right. from advanced you copies or whatever. To, but, what
0: you want to read is changed, not, it's totally not changed is, yes. just for work purposes, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah, now I'm, I still do read the classics occasionally, but I'm much more interested in in what my contemporaries are saying and I am also very intentional, like Rebecca said, about reading books by people of color, which has totally enriched my reading life in ways that I was just not getting reading you know, Dickens over and over and over again as much as I do love Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's been But I actually paid attention before I started working here. I went back and looked at my Goodreads counts and I was reading between three and four percent of people of color every year, which is just abysmal. And now I'm at like thirty or forty. So it's very, very different.
1: Yeah, that's been a great thing about running the site and about having all these readers together who read such diverse um, books across genres and across, you know, the language of origin and all kinds of things. Like, I was... I lived in the literary fiction wheelhouse, probably like I was reading lit fic, memoirs and creative nonfiction um, before I, we had Book Riot. And like, that's what was interesting to me. And it's what I felt comfortable in. And I also had like preconceived notions about what romance was or what science fiction was. But being put basically in the same room with all these smart people who read other kinds of books gave me this real like, oh, well, Jen is really smart and I trust her and she reads romance. And so if, maybe if she recommends a romance to me, it'll be a good one. And i'll start to get it and that's exactly what happened and i think it's happened to all of us with recommendations from the people who write for the site it's happened to the contributors with each other and it's also happening now with our readers who recommend things to us that we might not have picked up before but um they have a sense of who we are and how we do things and when they recommend something that they think we'll like um we can take that risk and you know try different books that we wouldn't have tried before it's been really cool
0: um, we're going back to Emma's question. She she entered uh, submitted a several, and we took the one about if you were to write a book about reading a book, which would be, but we're going to come back to a couple other ones. Other podcasts you listen to. Um, I listen to, let's see, I listen to The Talk Show by John Gruber. He's an Apple blogger, probably the most uh, famous of Apple bloggers. Um, I listen to Accidental Tech Podcast, which is also a co- another tech show. Um, I listen to Back to Work with Dan Benjamin and Merlin Mann, which is – Hard to say what it's about, really. <laughs> um, uh, it was at one point about work productivity, and they still talk about that, but it's kind of, you're, you're there for Dan and Merlin, and I'm there a lot to listen to Merlin, though I do like Dan. Um, uh, this show is actually, in a way, patterned on one of the other shows that Dan Benjamin did for his 5x5 podcast network called The Frequency, where they did a weekly show that was about tech news. And I listened to that show and I liked that show. I learned a lot you know, about what was going on. I was like, you know, we could do something like that with books. It's two people about books. It's two people just sort of spending a few minutes on a bunch of different um, book stories. So that's, that's the um, direct uh, patrilineage uh, of this show. Um, I listen to Radiolab. I listen to This American Life. I listen to Planet Money. Um, I listen to. Uh, <laughs> so let's many. see. I'm trying to, I, think, I guess that's it for right now. Um, what do, you, do you guys listen to other ones?
2: not as yeah. much as i want to i listen to star talk oh with neil deGrasse tyson <laughs> Not as many as you do yeah is that neil good Grace i've tyson always is, i thought about talk. trying
0: that what's the what's the virtue of i mean what do you like about that
2: it's so great well deGrasse tyson who i right i'm obsessed with he's got he has guests on um, astronauts people in various scientific fields uh, authors sometimes he has on uh, talks about news uh in uh, physics and so i am not a science person i mean i'm kind of i'm a science geek i like to read about it but i'm not smart in that way like i'm not great at physics by any Mm. means but he just as he does in every media that he produces he makes all of these these news items in physics very accessible and understandable and and just fascinating and he's great and he's got a great personality and i like him a lot
0: (laughs) and do they do they have like a set question list or they just talk about or i mean a set topic or just come talk to me just chat okay gotcha
2: yeah um I also listen to a podcast called Fountains of Carrots, which is a a pair of mommy bloggers—I don't like that term, but for lack of a better um, term—who talk every week about—they're Catholics, and and I'm not Catholic, so I don't know why I'm obsessed with the show, (laughs) but they talk about, like, they're my age, raising young children, faith— Pop culture and Catholicism. And in the same way that I'm like obsessed with the Duggers because I just don't get it and want to know what's like making them work, I listen to this podcast of two moms who are very Catholic because I just think it's interesting. That's all. <laughs>
0: That's cool. I listen uh, oh yeah,
1: like, periodically. Um, I went on a big binge and now I periodically listen to You Are Not So Smart, which mm. is hosted by David McCraney. And each episode is about a different cognitive bias and sort of how that works and what some examples are. And he interviews a person who's an expert on that thing. So like, there's a really great one about conspiracy theories and what is it about our brains that makes us want to believe conspiracy theories when you know it's like the least logical thing to believe in a situation um and he's he did a great interview with uh, clive thompson about uh, the internet and like people talking about well this these other things have stood the test of time and how we we think that when a thing has been around for a long time it must be that it's been around for a long time because it's good but actually those two things aren't necessarily related so each episode unpacks something like that um and lately i'm dallying with um the new Deer Sugar podcast mm. that Cheryl Strayed mm. hosts with, I think his name is Steve, who is the original Deer uh-huh. Sugar at the Rumpus. And it's then like Cheryl Steve Strayed. Steve Almond
0: or something? Yeah, that and his then name? Cheryl yeah.
1: Strayed took it over. And so people write in with their life advice questions and Steve and Cheryl answer them together. And I love, love, love Cheryl Strayed and I just want it to be her. Mm. Um, mm. So, yeah. But I don't leave my house all that much, and I can't listen to podcasts while I'm working,
0: so I just (laughs) uh,
1: don't listen to as many as I wish I did because it just sounds like there are a ton of great ones.
0: Um, I'm going to selfishly combine two of the next ones, and then you guys can take it where you want to. Emma also asked, how often do you reread books, and do you ever read plays, or do you consider theater and books to be separate tastes? Uh, I don't read a lot of plays, but um, I love Tom Stoppard, and I don't reread them much. But I do reread Tom Stoppard plays. (laughs) Um, Wow! uh, The Invention of Love by Tom Stoppard is one of my favorite plays. Um, especially by a contemporary writer and Arcadia, The Real Thing. The language is great. It's about literature. It's about words. It's about language and art and love and unicorns and the whole thing. And he's um, witty and wonderful. Um, He also – probably most people know him. He wrote the screenplay for Shakespeare in Love. It's probably his most famous thing, but he's actually well-known as a playwright. I used to do more rereading than I do now. Um, I don't do that much. I read – I read Gilead every time one of the new Marilyn Robinson books comes out, so I guess I have another reread ahead of me in the next couple of years if another one comes out. Um, I read Shakespeare from time to time. I read the Iliad over again every now and again, um, but that's really it for me in rereading. What do you guys do? You in re-
1: re- re- the classics, Amanda?
2: <laughs> I do. Uh, yeah. Well, as far as plays go, I don't. I don't really read plays, um, not because I consider them to be separate from books, just because I. I prefer to watch them because I'm lazy. Like <laughs> Same reason I like to watch Netflix. I don't know. No. Um, I, I I do like seeing how actors take a text and interpret it in their own ways. So I do prefer to see a play performed as post-reading it. Uh, as far as rereading books, I reread Gatsby every summer because I cannot afford a yacht. And that is how I <laughs> and it's super experience short. It's so short, yeah. yeah, and that's how I experience uh, that situation. Um, I reread Anna Karenina, like I said, uh, every couple of years. That's really it. I'm not. I'm not a big rereader. Mm. Um, yeah, no. I want to read. Or I want to reread all of Dickens, but that's one of those like when I'm retired and. Mm. I'm While not Jeff is owning like his
1: dirt. barbecue place,
0: yeah. When I yeah, retire, yeah. I'll be busy rereading a I'm tale of two cities. I'm going to memorize a song of myself when I'm retired. I've just Michelle and I already talked about that. We're both going to memorize <laughs> song of myself when I'm retired. Um, that's adorable. That's so cute. Yeah, it's I, something I don't reread, but I use as a reference. I pick up off the shelf a lot because I find it. I, I like to. I don't know. I'm always scared about for me. Um, not thinking clearly about things and trying to make a decision, so I have uh, Daniel Kahneman's thinking Fast and Slow on my shelf mm. and sometimes I'll pick that up and just sort of flip through it and look at some of the biases and um, some of the uh some of the mistakes people make um, and I make them all the time as well in my thinking and just kind of use it as kind of a a check in and get out of my own head a little bit and try to think about my own thinking and do some metacognition it's like it's like a, the um the cyborgs- devo- devotional um, to read. <laughs> yeah. Thinking fast and slow, um, <laughs> bit by uh, bit. That's, that's another one I do.
1: What else we got here? Let's see. Oh, no, Rebecca. Uh, oh, me. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't reread very much. Um, I reread *A Sport and a Pastime* by James Salter every summer. Um, if Amanda's reading *Gatsby* because she can't afford a yacht, I'm reading that because I'm not going to go have an affair with a young man in Europe. But I don't mind thinking <laughs> about it for a few hundred pages. Um, I reread *Sula* every couple of years. Every now and then I get a hankering for a prayer for Owen Meany and I reread that, but not very much. I just like as a person, I want like more, more, more new, new, new. Um, And so reading books that I haven't read before does that for me and rereading. I don't know. It's just I've just never been a big rereader.
0: Um, Let's move on. Nicole's got a bunch of questions. Let's take a couple of these. Um, What are some of the hashtags on Twitter? You look for bookish news reading recommendations. I think I speak for all of us when I say none. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yes. We all use Twitter, I think, to find out about new books, but the hashtags for us I mean, I understand if you don't have a group of people you follow that talks about books a lot, hashtags can be a good way to jump into one and sort of. Um, go fishing in the deep blue sea. But I, I find that to be difficult because I don't know the people. And I think one thing that works about book recommendations is you first need to recommend the person to yourself as someone you trust. And then after that, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, th- what they say about books becomes more interesting to you. So none of us use that. Um, if you guys out there, listeners use Twitter hashtags, I'd certainly be interested in seeing what you you write about that. And is that right? I'm not speaking out of turn about that. No, no, that's right. No, um, What character do you find yourself asking questions to where you're in a tough situation, i.e., what would Jane Eyre do? Uh, I don't think I'd do this, and I think because... Most characters that are interesting are like so super flawed and interesting that they're not a super great source of advice. That's sort of my take on it, though I don't know if you guys think differently about it. Uh,
1: I ask myself what would Cheryl Strayed do yeah, sometimes, okay. but go. that's not fictional. Um and this isn't a book but Leslie Nope. There I do think there's like a small Leslie Nope in my head that I'm like, "What would Leslie Nope do here?"
0: I.
2: Uh. You know? I don't do this either, Uh, but I wish I were the kind of person who thought about what Melanie from Gone with the Wind would do in situations, (laughs) because she is so excellent as a human being. Like, she's this archetypal, full of grace, but she's also very strong. I mean, like, she will stab the Yankee if the Yankee needs to be stabbed, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but she's so nice and sweet and kind. And I wish that I thought about what Melanie would do before I speak, but I don't.
0: Um, maybe, I mean, maybe taking another way, like a character you admire. Like, one I always thought about, and this is again another thing from teaching it that I didn't get when I read it on my own because I was too young reading Crime is Punishment, is that Raskolnikov's best friend, um, Razumikin, is just a good guy. And he cares about Raskolnikov, he cares about other people, he tries to do the right thing. Um, that's, that's one of the characters I like. If you turned out like Razumikin, you could do a lot worse. So I don't think like, boy, I have a decision to make. What would Razumekin do? It's like, well, he's a 19th century um, Russian fictional character. I'm not sure he'd have much to say in the matter. But um, <laughs> that's what I often think about when I think about characters that are like kind of, uh, I don't know, m- models of what good actors look like. Because I think most authors do have a character in one of their books that is it, that is kind of like their idealized human kind of situation where it's like something about their best selves get Pushed off, into, and I think Dostoevsky definitely did that with Razumekin. Mm-hmm. Um and the other parts of his personality got pushed into other characters. Um, mm-hmm. But Razumekin is the one that sort of remains unsullied there.
1: Yeah, I think about Reverend Ames from Gilead Yeah, I do that For too. That, that, like, if at the end of my life I can look back on my days with that same, you know, sort of quiet honesty that yeah. that book has about the beauty of the world, but also the really difficult things about. The world and the ways that he did right by people and the ways that he did wrong by people and and say those if I can say those things to myself or I can say those things to uh, to someone that I love in that kind of way then yeah then I'll feel like I turned out all right.
0: Um, if you could design your ultimate reading re- relaxation nook, what it would look like? Um, you know, this I have is a big not- sign.
2: On the door that says no kids. I was going to
0: say it would have to have a moat around it with full of broccoli because then my kids wouldn't cross it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. Like, any place where my children are not is my reading nook. Um,
0: though when I sort of fantasize like- about getting some time to read, it's if for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because I spent a lot of time when I was a kid and first learning to read on my own chapter books. I lived in Seattle. I always wanted to be sort of rainy and like mm-hmm. by a window with the window mm-hmm. open a little where you can sort of feel and smell and hear a little bit of rain. Um, that's what I always think about. And I I do think about these terrible old, my, my parents had these really, uh, excuse me, my grandmother had these really old, terrible turquoise, like velour recliners. Um, and then we would go out to visit there. We'd go out for, my brothers and I would go out for a week or two and we'd stay out there and I would sit in these velour recliners, like reading all day. Mm-hmm. And that's imprinted on me as like, you know, a, uh, an archetypal reading situation, though I would never buy one for myself. It's like, it's just one of those memories, like, oh, that's what, that's what relaxing reading for a long time feels and sounds like that stuck with me. So I think I'm just trying to uh, recreate the past maybe there. All right. We're, maybe we, do we have another sponsor? We, we, nope, do we, that's cov- it. we that's covered, covered everybody. So we can get to the big picture stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, let's see, we get a couple of questions about what we want to do with this site. Uh, actually, looks three of them, mm-hmm. right? Three questions. I'll ask: What are your long-term goals? What's next? Um, <sighs> what what well, are we? Book Riot say Live here? is next. Oh yeah, that's or... next. That, like that's a that's a thing, right? That's yeah, a thing. Yeah. Book Riot Live in November. Um, so that's coming up. You can go to bookwright. to find out about that. We'll all be here. We'll do. I was thinking maybe we should do a recommendation show there. Our, yeah, that would our, be fun. Our, we usually do a holiday recommendation show. We can drag Manda uh, along with us <laughs> and do a three-top and talk about books we, should, you think, we, we think you should buy for other people. Um, so uh, one person says, we've got the YouTube. We've got quarterly boxes, podcasts, Book Riot Live, panels, which is new. It's six months old now. Um, I don't think we're going to do another site anytime soon. Um, that doesn't seem to be on the horizon.
1: Man, it's hard to think about yeah,
0: that. Yeah, we've got the YA quarterly box that's coming out. The first one is getting shipped, mm-hmm. what, next week? Yeah. Something like that. This week, like this yeah, week, or next yeah. week,
1: Monday. Yeah, it's getting Monday. The whatever Monday is.
0: <laughs> I think in the fall, I think in the fall we're thinking about a comics box of some kind yeah. for panels to yeah. go along with. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, We're going to be doing a lot of different event yeah. type experimentation in the next year. Jen has a lot of great ideas, and we've all got like stuff we dreamed about doing for a while, and now that we have an events director, we can try. April twenty
0: third, um, BYOB. It's uh, World Book Night used to be April twenty third, and it's gone away, and so. We're using that date um, to do kind of a book drive where bring your old – what are the three O's? Old, outworn, uh, whatever, books that you're happy to share with the world. And we're going to do a book drive. Um, locations in D.C., New York, Chicago, Richmond. I think there might be a couple other between there, but you mm-hmm. will, you'll hear more about those um, I'll put a link in the show notes. Jen wrote a post about it, and if you are around in and around one of those cities and want to come, donate some of your loved and useful books. This is not uh, dump. This is not dump. Mm -hmm. uh, Windows 95 for Dummies. uh, Time. Um, That's coming. Books you would like to get. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't. You wouldn't be embarrassed to recommend to somebody else. Yeah. Uh I've long
1: long dreamed of like us doing uh, reading retreats where we're able to like rent out some scenic – like a beautiful old inn on a scenic hilltop that has like blankets (laughs) spread out on the hill and little hammocks and like cozy quiet places you can go off to read by yourself and then just regroup in the public sitting areas like around a fireplace in the evening if you do want to talk to other people. But like – some I mean, I don't know how or when or can if my we'll grandmother's like, lure chair
0: be there. Yes, it yeah. totally
1: can. Okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be thinking about that for a while. I like the idea of like doing a literary tourism, like in the big long term, yeah. like a literary tourism travel type thing, like a bunch of readers all going together to like London and seeing a bunch of the literary sites in London, or um, you know, Portugal has great old bookstores. You can going go there. see
0: Cervantes' bones, Amanda. <laughs> Good, finally (laughs) Or his maybe bones. We could go to Rome and
1: go on a Dan Brown tour. Oh Oh
2: my gosh. I would do
0: that. Oh what if we got Dan Brown to lead the the Rome the the Rome literary tour?
1: I've never wanted something so badly. I just um, black I just
0: blacked out. Were you guys still yeah. talking? <laughs> is,
1: uh, it's like Is
0: this what rapture feels like?
1: We do. I don't <laughs> want to say like we don't think about the long term because we do think about the long term yeah. all the time. But the way that the site and the company have worked so far, like most of the things that we've done have been things that just haven't existed before. And so it's hard to guess what yeah. five years like three and a half years ago, we would not have guessed that this is where we'd be hmm. right now. And so it's kind of hard to guess what. Like we're thinking we about
0: the it. online book club, yeah. re- reading group. We're still that's still in the hopper. We're doing some research around like some like things we've kicked around, uh, and this is more for fun than actually. Like we've we've all, at various times we're like I wish we had a st- like a bookstore, mm-hmm. like a like a physical yeah. bookstore with an event space and like a coffee thing that turned into a beer thing. <laughs> you know, five <laughs> o'clock, like the the bar flips over and like all the coffee <laughs> stuff, and it just becomes booze. Um, you know, like with just a one red button that you press and it
2: just... I would just move in. Yeah, I know, right? That's just a huge apartment building. We all
0: live in it. uh, After I die,
2: I would be like moaning Myrtle from Harry Potter. (laughs) Just Just be haunting it. (laughs) <laughs> well, like Jeff, you've talked about like
1: just sort of dreaming of Book Riot eventually becoming like the ESPN of books. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: It's like
1: a hub for things, and so and I think about like having a like having a house that holds our office, and we roll into that in the morning together and host mm-hmm. the podcast the way that um, Dan Patrick hosts his show with all of his people like live in person every morning I mean, on the, um, the, one of the Amanda sports. And
0: Rebecca knows that every once in a while they just have to expect a harebrained Jeff idea, just like randomly, and I often even label it harebrained Jeff. Idea. Ideas, but like one <laughs> is like, I think it'd be fun to do like a documentary that's like a profile of like hardcore book nerds, like really hard, like the Finnegans Wake people, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's like you know, it's six or seven profiles of people from various walks of life that are like really into books in really interesting ways, and sort of a profile of uh, bibliophilia. Like, that's something I'd like to do. Is again, do more media. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever do it. The we've talked about like an, an imprint of our own. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe we actually publish a few books um, somehow, some way, Um, according to things that we care about that we think people would like. We'd know – I'd say almost absolutely nothing about the actual economics of that. We've done a couple of Kickstarter books of our own, but like if we really wanted to make it available, say, in bookstores or, you know, own the rights to something that somebody else wrote if it was a novel or – you know, doing royalty statements or something like that. I mean, basically, he's not ready
2: for that slush pile.
0: Yeah, well, maybe it wouldn't have to be our job. That could be someone else's <laughs> job. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the the core idea for the site really is: what can we do that to make readers' lives, people's readers' reading lives more interesting? Um, and everything we do is sort of trying to to fulfill that sort of central direct, You know, sort of Star mm-hmm. Trek. Prime directive. Like, does this something that's going to make <laughs> readers' lives, in, readers enjoy their reading more? Um, so, anything that does that is sort of on the table for us. Um, I don't know what else. What else? What, what, what other bad ideas have we had? I'm sure we. Oh had my some. god,
1: we've had some oh, bad some,
0: ones. Some my bad ideas. So many bad. I ideas.
1: think I've just tried to forget all the bad ideas. Watch them we've, out. Yeah. We yeah. have a whole like. Uh, like Jeff and I've had whole like three hour phone calls with each other trying to figure a thing out, and then yeah. the next day both of us been like that 's not a thing that thing we talked about <laughs> last night it's like a it's like a, a one night stand with a bad idea yes. where, like you get really into it, and then the next day we're both, like, <laughs>
0: we're
1: both like did we that thing we talked about no no that yeah wasn't, no we're that's not going to do even that and even pretend
0: we thought that was a good idea yeah um so that I guess that's pretty, oh we're i th- we're thinking about. Um, I don't think this is too early to say we are going to – I think we're 90% committed to a series of uh, like meetups um, Mm -hmm. in different cities where people can come talk and meet other book lovers and um, not sure the formats, but like it would be the same day in several different bookstores and libraries and bars across the country um, where – a, a Book Riot writer or staff person or employee will sort of be the host, but then you can meet other people and talk about what you're reading and book nerd stuff and just geek out about that. So stay tuned for that. I think, more, I think more real life stuff is definitely the, yeah. the, the big change. And then if we do some sort of online reading experience. And then, we, then we'll have the bookstore, the chain of Book Riot stores to replace borders. I think that's our show. Is that our show? I think so. Oh, we're done. We're done. What Did you guys have questions? Anything else?
1: Oh, I don't think so. Yeah.
0: I guess we've talked about more podcasts. We, we, we're always kicking around new ideas for podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So there's always that.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's anything. Yeah. I have no burning questions. we have been doing questions.
2: an awards for a while.
1: Oh, yeah. That's oh, something yeah, we yeah. always
0: kick around is like having our own year-end award of some kind. Because we do the the best books we read in X year. Yeah. But like... And I've wanted to do it more than you guys have. And you guys always talk me down from it, saying like, well, what's the point of it? And I'm like, well, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, and I don't know what the point of it would be, except it's kind of fun, but there's... there's funsies. No, yeah, funsies. funsies. It's under
1: like possibly harebrained ideas.
0: <laughs> well, it's but also... Think I think that- the thing you guys have said that I that really cuts me to the quick is that sort of derivative, right? Yeah. Like we have... A, we have Pulitzers and national book awards and the new york times 10 best lists and blah 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 whatever what would we be we'd have to come some other way of doing it mm-hmm. like we kicked around like the the best bad idea was have kind of doing it like almost like an oscar where there's like more like categories right you know like best uh, villain or best yeah. secondary character or best ending like it's more specific um, but it's still, I think. But
2: everybody. out of that phone call, I remember this phone call. Out of that call came the best out of box that we did. Oh, that's right, oh, right, right, right. That's right. Yeah. Well,
0: that's one thing we so. learned about bad ideas: is that often if you cram, if you sort of uh, think about a bad idea long enough, it might turn into a good idea if you, if you do it mm-hmm. uh, the right way. But you're right; that did turn into the best of, and which was a success, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we it sold. Was. We sold out of those. Oh, and we're going to do a summer one. So that's yeah. a thing that you can uh, look for. I think in in about a month, uh, around early May, we're going to release a box in the Book Riot store of uh, four books that we love that we think are great for summer reading. The books will be a secret and there will be some other goodies from the Book Riot store in there and so like it's separate from our quarterly box it'll be a one-off thing that you pay a hundred bucks for and you get more than a hundred bucks worth of books and stuff um and so that'll be coming if you want to you know take a little summer reading adventure with us
0: yeah and as always you can find us at bookwrite.com uh twitter handles i am uh, the jeff o'neill o-n-e-a-l Uh, Amanda is at I'm Amanda Nelson I-M-A-M-A-N-D-A-N-E-L-S-O-N Rebecca is at Rebecca Shinsky the regular way of spelling there's no real alternative way of spelling Rebecca there's
1: the there's the K-A-H way
0: oh but it's not that way she's double C Rebecca Shinsky S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y as always you can find show notes bookriot.com slash podcast if you want to shoot us an email podcast at bookriot.com you can find Riot live information bookriot.com bookrightlive.com. That's November 7th and 8th. We do still have a few discounted tickets that are $119. Once those are gone, the normal ticket price will be $169. Still a great deal. An event, the, the one that's going fast is the Saturday night event at the Strand, which is an extra ticket. It's 40 bucks, wine, drinking situation in the rare books room. Uh, of the strand uh, will be there and some authors will be there hanging out let's see you can get Ooh.
1: your books are in my wheelhouse hundred oh, yes. episode commemorative you. t-shirt at teespring com slash brpodcast those are again only available through April 15th so do it now
0: yep and uh, we, we, again, we'll be back next week with episode 101 mm. back to <laughs> regular talking was that a sad <laughs> trombone Amanda
2: no, I said I. I said uh huh.
0: Uh huh. Oh, I, I thought it was like hmm. it was not. Okay, I was like no. uh hundred one. Uh, we're back with uh, more book news about what's cool new and we're talking about the world of books reading. Thank you guys so much, Amanda and Rebecca, for uh, doing this all the time. I know we all look forward to it. And, yeah, it's uh, so fun. We'll we'll do more. Here's to another hundred episodes. Woo!